0: Wow what a blessing it's great to be back in vancouver washington it's awesome to be here with our dear friends uh, Bob and sue what a what a amazing uh, what amazing pastors um, you know he carries a grace that's so much larger than than even this house and uh, it it carries over into the nations of the world carries over into uh, many churches apostolically and prophetically and of course you know all that because you you get the experience of it on a, on a regular basis and it's just a, such a treat my my church absolutely adores your pastor and uh, they would they would get rid of me in a heartbeat to bring him in and uh, but we we so appreciate him and sue and and just the uh, generosity of their spirit they the way they throw their arms around us and accept us and receive us and and I want to be uh, obviously very careful with the time, but I'm always happy when my wife is able to share the time with me and come with me. And we've done so much traveling over the years where uh, she's had to stay home, watch the kids, or do whatever, and or maintain and hold the church together. And I was out doing what I was doing. And and it's just such a treat at this season of our life when she gets to go with me. And you know, she's the butter on my biscuit. She's the you know she's the cherry on top of the Sunday of my life. She's the salsa on my chip you know uh she's, she's just uh she's the sprinkles on the mocha of life and uh we're just uh, <laughs> so we're we're just uh I'm thrilled to have her here and it's great to have you it's great to see you uh, how many remember last time I was here some of you might remember some of you don't well that was pretty forgettable i guess so we're we're uh Thank you for uh, forgetting. Appreciate that. <laughs> Gives me a chance to start all over. And so we get to start all over, make a new impression. Um, what an honor. What an honor. I, uh, I always get challenged whenever uh, somebody... Um, kind of calls on me and says, you know, hey, we know you carry this grace and we know God uses you in this way and and uh, it's always challenging to me because I've never felt like I was that, all that in a bag of chips. I, I really just felt that my responsibility was just to do three basic things, preach the gospel, uh, win the lost, and pray for the sick. That was, that was, those are the kind of the three things that I just have felt this inertia uh, from God since my very early stages of calling into the ministry. And it started when I felt called at 10 years old. And I uh, started praying for the sick just because kids don't know they're not supposed to. And, and, and sometimes we've got to forget some of the things we've learned not to do. And we've got to realign ourselves with things. And so i got a couple things I want to share with you. But I want to share with you specifically on the idea of why I believe in healing. Just very simple. Just, and they're very simple thoughts. It's not, you're not going to get some grand revelation today. You're just going to hear why I believe God heals today. Why he does it now. Why you can expect and anticipate a visitation of the healer in your life if you're looking for healing. And and it's been forged by multiple things that has been established in my life that I want to kind of translate to you. Now, I want to start with, first of all, saying before I get into the whole scenario of all that, I want to tell you that expectation determines approach. So expectation will always build an approach. So the perfect example is the woman with the issue of blood. We know the story, many of you do, where this woman has suffered for years, 12 years in fact, under Uh, the power of her issue of blood or her flow of blood. She couldn't get past her menstrual cycle. It was consistent and continuous. Now there's a real problem with that uh, within the the culture, the spiritual and religious and social culture of Israel because the result of this is she is literally ostracized by her condition from everything that matters in life. She is ostracized from temple, synagogue. She is ostracized from engaging in relationships with her husband. She is ostracized just by the rule of law. She's ostracized from being able to go and take care of the needs of her family on a regular basis because she had to separate herself during this season. Well, the problem is her season never ended. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like your season is supposed to have a time limit and it seems to go into overtime and then double overtime and then triple overtime. Anybody with me? It's the game that never ends. It's the song that never ends. It's the droning that never ends. And, 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 and so she's in this culture of, of rejection and isolation and insulation. She's so desperate she spent everything she has, right? She spent every nickel she's got on doctors, and and they've done everything they can. And it's come up short. I'm sure that she has sought the counsel of the rabbi. I'm sure she's sought the counsel of the leader of the synagogue. I am sure that she's done everything that she could naturally do. She's looked at every remedy. She's read every book or scroll. She's gotten the counsel and advice from everybody. And I'm sure she's had her Job's comforters, you know, the ones that say, it's your fault, something's wrong with you. Never been there? I'm sure she's done her own self-assessments. I'm sure she has fasted. I'm sure she has prayed. Now, this is all supposition, but I'm confident based on the desperation of the note of the language of the story, you discover that these are the things that she's dealing with. Now, what ends up happening is she hears Jesus is coming into town. He's in Capernaum, and he's coming into town, and she says to herself... If I can but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. So that was her what? That was her expectation. Her expectation determined her approach. Now because she was expecting, if I can just touch him, I'll get what I've been desperately looking for for 12 years. If I can just, anybody say it with me, touch him, all right, now back in my church, I got folk that will preach with me. I need some help up in here. We, uh, we, get, we just got to touch If I can just touch him. Y'all need some rhythm too, I'm just telling you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll send some of my folk up. We'll, we'll, get, you, we'll get you on the offbeat. beat. <laughs> anyhow we we, we get some rhythm in our life so here's what happened She, she said if I can touch him so then her expectation determined her approach so then she was willing to risk not just being discovered but her making everybody around her unclean seems selfish doesn't it probably is but, you know, sometimes our desperation goes a notch above our dignity. And one of the reasons we don't get healed is because we just maybe aren't desperate enough. Now, this is one of many reasons. Sometimes we are more concerned about what it looks like than what is getting accomplished. And God did some unusual things. Jesus did some unusual things like spinning on the ground and many other examples where it seemed to kind of push the boundaries of dignity but anyhow she she makes the decision she's going to move through the crowd and she does right but the problem is you can't touch God based on your expectation or approach and him not acknowledge it so she touches him she instantly gets healed and guess what she would have been happy going home being restored to society and even given Jesus credit for it But when she receives her healing, think about this Jesus stops in the throng of crowds and he says, Who touched me? They said, Man, everybody's touching you. The difference is, what was their expectation? What was their approach? See, sometimes we just want his attention. She wasn't interested in his attention. Sometimes we just want him to pat us on the back and say, boy, you're doing a good job. Thank you for trying so hard. No, 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 she's not interested in attention. She's interested in results. She doesn't want his attention. She doesn't want an accolade. She doesn't want a pat on the back. She just wants to be healed. And so, and so everybody else is grabbing, longing, looking for attention. Uh, I'm sure there were desperate people with sick conditions there. But when she touched him, what happened? Everything changes. And she, he says, I felt virtue. I love the idea. I love the old King James on this. I love, felt virtue leave my body. Or healing power Leave my body. In other words, what I, what is the life of me? That's virtue, the life of me. The compelling thing that moves me through life, the, the very source of who I am. I felt that leave me and go into somebody else. Somebody tapped into what I always have. So it's always there, but it's a issue of has my expectation determined my approach. So it's a, it's a way of talking about faith. So let me let me now take you to the why I believe that God heals. Now this is one of many examples in Scripture. Don't you wish it was just a simple formula? Just only about half a dozen of you only wish it was a simple formula. But how many have discovered it isn't? It's individualized. It's unique. It's one of the great characteristics of Scripture. So the main reason, or the primary reason why I believe in healing is because I believe in the healer. I think there is a great distinction that we need to draw right here that the key to your healing isn't believing in healing. That the key to experiencing the miraculous intervention of the power of God in your life isn't that you believe God does miracles. It is believing in the miracle worker. It is believing in the healer. Right? If I don't have a physician working in my life, I can't experience the virtue of that physician. And if I don't understand that this is what Jesus functions in, this is who he is in the essence of who he is, then I miss direct my faith. I put it in my healing. And then when I when I put it in the idea of healing, and so if I put it into the idea of healing, all of a sudden it becomes self-centric instead of Christ-centric. Because now it's what do I need to do to get my healing? So if I'll fast a little bit more, if I'll believe a little more, if I'll read a little more, if I'll trust a little more, if I'll get a little more, if I'll, a more, if I'll have a little more, if I... Anybody getting this? It all become, it all of a sudden becomes a self measurement. So then, healing is dependent on me, my compliance with certain truths, certain realities, certain spiritual alignments. I'm not saying we don't have anything in it. We do. But the problem is, our focus, our primary focus, can't be on the thing or us. It has to be. On him. Here's what I've discovered. Nobody that's been healed ever deserved to be healed. Just like nobody that's ever been saved has ever deserved to be saved. It is a complete context of the grace of God. It's what God releases purely because that's what he loves to do. And Jesus can't be anything other than Jesus. Look what it says. Jesus even said this uh, amongst his own people. He said, he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. He's identifying, I'm the physician. I'm the great physician. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your own hometown as well. Come on. In, in other words, they, they had an attitude in relationship to Jesus that literally shut off the grace of healing within Nazareth. Because they could only relate to him based on the twelve-year-old boy boy that used to work with his dad in the carpenter shop, and he used to play with my kids, and he used to hang out, and he used to go to synagogue. He used, yeah, he was a bright good boy, an odd boy, a different boy. But 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 who does he think he is? He goes to Capernaum and he's a big shot. Now he comes back and he's got an entourage. Well, well, well. Anybody tracking? So I believe it, and he looked at him, he said, you're you're going to quote this, and we all know that later on, right, he could do no great, wonderful, or mighty works, only a few, according to the scriptures, were healed, which means this missionary journey back to his hometown didn't function well, and the reason wasn't because Jesus wasn't a healer, it was because they couldn't relate to him as a healer. And some of us can't get past the point of healing because we can't relate to God in the context of who he is as a healer. I believe in healing not because of healing and not because of people's experiences, my experiences alone. I believe in healing because I met a man who died on a cross. And when he died on a cross, he just didn't carry my sin, he carried my sickness. And he carried my disease that's affirmed by the scriptures. And when he died, my sin died. And so did my sickness. And so did my disease. And so did my crippling effects. And so did my, my mental uh, acuities and fears. Everything died when Jesus died. And when Jesus got up out of the grave, guess what folks? Everything he was and everything he is came back to life. And he offers us the very thing that is the antonym to what sin brought, to what Satan brought, to what rebellion brought, he brought life and health and victory and hope and grace and salvation and peace. Because that's who Jesus is. I'm am I'm, I'm sorry. I, are you? Is that okay? I'm, I get a little. Get a little preachy. I'm not, oh, I felt, I felt somebody over there. If you get out the hankies, I'll really feel at home. He, uh, what does the Bible say? Isaiah 53, we know this. When he was despised, rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and, was cons- and considered him insignificant. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain. Even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done. But he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds. He was crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well because of his wounds. We have been healed. I remember early on I was in Bible college. I'll tell you a personal story. I was in Bible college, and, and I was really seeking God about healing. Uh, specifically, I was really pressing in to this idea that I, I, I felt unsatisfied, as many of us do. And even your pastor has said this. You know, There's this sense of, hey, I believe there's a, there is a, a place we can reach in the kingdom of God and in the house of God where healing is a norm. It's not, it's not a unique thing. We celebrate it, we rejoice in it, but, but there's this expectation that this is the house of healing. Not just for the spirit, not just for the soul, but even for the body. None of us would be surprised if somebody jumped up and said they were saved today. But somehow we get surprised when somebody actually jumps up and says they were healed today. And if we marry them as God did in the redemptive work of the cross, then we'll understand that Jesus took care of it all. And that there's a normative. And so I was crying out to God, Lord, there's got to be a normative experience where people are healed regularly. Now, not, not everybody's healed for many reasons that I can't get into. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know all the reasons. But I do believe that more people should be healed than are being healed. And so I'm seeking God. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm on my face. I'm, I'm weeping before God. It's been hours of time going by. And all of a sudden, I was taken in a vision. I had a vision. And in this vision, I saw nothing except for one thing. I saw a back. And I knew instantly it was the back of Jesus. This was where God took me to reveal something to me about the thing I was seeking Him for, which was healing the ministry of healing, the grace of healing. And God showed me His back, and, and it, was, it was clearly the idea of the price. And, and I, I've seen pictures and I've watched movies. And every one of them, even if you watch The Passion of the Christ, which was brutal to watch, it still doesn't capture what I saw that day. What I saw was I saw ringlets of flesh, like the girl's curls in her hair, hanging from the sides of his back. I saw bone exposed, rib cage. Back, I saw organs, liver, kidney, meat, blood. It it was soaked in the tint of red that I couldn't even describe. I was horrified, instantly horrified at what I saw. I said, Lord, why show this to me? Why do I have to see this? Why can't I see? Why don't I ever, you know, God never talks nice to me. He never shows me nice things. I, that's not true. He gave me my wife. But but, why show me this? And the Lord said, because whenever, this is what he said to me, whenever you pray for somebody that's sick, you'll know I paid for it. You'll know I took care of it. You'd trust it more if you knew what he paid for it. You'd have more confidence if you really had a revelation of the price paid. I believe Jesus heals... And I believe in healing because I believe Jesus is the healer. Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. Luke 6, 17 and 8 through 19. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who suffered from unclean spirits were cured. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out of him and healing them all. Acts 10 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing what? Good? And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? Because God was with him. Why do I believe in healing? Because Jesus, when he came, he said, I'm demonstrating who God is. And everywhere he went, he healed the sick. Everywhere he went, he preached the kingdom. Everywhere he went, he set the captive free. Luke 4, when Jesus picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read, he, he personalizes the proclamation that was about the Messiah. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to bring liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind. To set in liberty those who are oppressed. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What do I know about him? I know that God anointed him. I know that he came and paid the price. I know that he walks in the office the function of not just a physician but the actual source of healing. You touch him just like that woman with the issue of blood. You touch your healing. I don't just believe that Jesus, I could go on, trust me, but i got to get to my other points. I don't just believe that Jesus is the healer, I also believe in healing because I believe in the promises and the example of God's word. I know this is a church that is the same way as I am, that you believe that the word is efficacious and is absolutely the inspired, in its totality, word and revelation of God himself. And so I hear James, the great pastor of the Church of Jerusalem and the half-brother of Jesus say this. Are any of you sick? Here's a solution. You should call for the elders of the church. And we talked about this last night, but I'll just mention it again. If you have a problem with authority, you're going to have a problem getting healing. All right, thank you, pastor. Go back to your own church and share that. You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. The name represents the character, the nature, the personality, the authority. I'm anointing them not just in a formula. Come on. Not in an HD 4K, you know... Ray's letter name, I'm ray I'm speaking in the character, the nature, the personnel, the authority. That's what the name means of Jesus. Such a prayer offered in faith, such a prayer offered in faith. This is a promise to you. It's a promise not just to you, but think about this, it's also a promise to eldership. It's not just a promise to the one receiving prayer, it's also the one offering prayer. As operating the office and the authority that God has called them to. Come on, such a prayer offered in faith. If I align my faith with this, faith that God's anointed me as an elder of the house, then guess what? It will heal the sick. Look at that. So much authority, it knocked my thing over. And the Lord will make you well. Who makes you well? The The Lord makes you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Here's another promise. Jesus uh, Jesus said, "Go and announce to the disciples, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick." It's not a suggestion. It's nice. "Hey, it'd be nice if you guys would go out and heal the sick while you're out there. Give it a try. See how it goes." How many times do we say, "Hey, let's try this?" No, Jesus said, "You go, I tell them the kingdom of heaven is here. Heal the sick." raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. So we have to have this conviction that we've received something. We all know it. First Peter reiterates what Isaiah says, for he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might, he, we might die to sin and live to righteousness by whose wounds you have been healed. I believe in the promise of God, that God provides by his spirit, what? To another faith, by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. The Holy Spirit that produces faith. The Holy Spirit that produced the word of knowledge that we heard earlier. The Holy Spirit that produces prophecy. Come on, this is a house of the prophetic. Come on, because the office, the mantle that lays on your pastor, it's here, it's evident, it's proven, it's consistent, it's reliable. Come on, somebody. That same spirit produces gifts of healings. That same spirit produces working of miracles. That same spirit produces tongues. That same spirit produces prophecy and words of knowledge. Come on, is anybody with me? Come on, it's in the house. you got the the same Holy Spirit that you've got comfortable producing gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge is the same Holy Spirit that operates with gifts of healings and working of miracles. Why do I believe in healing? I believe in healing because I believe in the healer. I believe in healing because I believe in the promises and examples of God's word. I believe in healing because I trust in God's nature. I simply trust the character of God. James says whatever is good and perfect is a gift from God. Coming down from God the Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or cast a shifting shadow, man. If he did it, if he did it two thousand years ago, he doesn't change. I hear the I hear the words of Hebrews thirteen. Come on, he's the same, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, is the same yesterday, today, forever. I want to say it to you in the context of your own life. He is the same as he was when you started your experience with him. As he is right now in your experience, he will be in your future experience. He does not shift. He is not somebody that's unreliable or undependable. He is the same. And here's what I know. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Preach it, Pastor. Pastor. David encouraged himself in the Lord. My name is David. Jesus, Matthew 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as they stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus was motivated by a thing called compassion. Now, we talked about sympathy. Sympathy is no place for faith. We confuse faith with compassion, to be quite, excuse me, sympathy with compassion. Uh, there's a real problem that we have in life when we give ourselves to sympathies because sympathies will stand between people and their healing. Your sympathy ain't going to help anybody. Your faith, your compassion will. Mm-hmm. Let's keep, I, I'd like to preach on it, I can't. Get last night's tape if they taped it. If you didn't miss it, well, sorry. John 14, verse 7, look at this. If you had known me, Jesus talking, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, later on in the verse, have I been with you so long and you still know, do not know me, Philip? Because he said, show us, show us the Father. He said, how long, how long do I have to be with you? This is towards the end of the journey, right? This is, this is towards the end of his sojourn in the world. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The very next verse, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of what? The works themselves. In other words, my works identify the nature and the character of God. you got to believe what Jesus did. Our problem is we get historical with God. Instead of dealing with him as he is, the I am, the ever-present help in time of trouble. Now, he just wasn't good 20 years ago. He just wasn't good 2,000 years ago. He just wasn't good during the time of Moses. He's good right now. In fact, your pastor shared it this morning. I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rafa, Here's another reason why I believe in healing. So I believe in healing because this, isn't, this is not rocket science, is it? I believe in healing because I believe in the healer. I believe in healing because I believe in the example and the promise of God's word. I believe in healing because I believe in the nature of God. I believe in healing also because I've experienced healing. Aren't you glad that I'm not up here just talking about something that I've never experienced? Can I give you some examples? At 15 years old, I was diagnosed with, brain, with uh, tumors in my brain. I had a massive one behind my left ear. They discovered it because I fell off of a uh, skateboard, banged my head. They take, an ex- they take an x-ray to make sure you didn't crack your skull. I'd had many of these in my life because I cracked my skull many times. But what ended up happening is they discovered this large mass behind my ear. They told my parents, they said, uh, your son's got a large mass. We need to get an MRI, a CAT scan as quickly as possible uh, because we have an earlier film that was probably six months ago from when he cracked his head the last time, and it didn't exist, and now it is the size of a, a large, like, like a size of a ball, behind his left ear. It's going to start pressing against his spinal column. It's going to start taking up space. He's going to start losing function with his, um, with his eyes. He's going to start losing, having brain loss. Uh, just from simple growth, not to mention if it's cancer. So this was the language. My mom thought I was going to get some stitches. Next thing you know, her son, her 15-year-old son, has a brain tumor. So we scheduled something, and we went to praying. I remember my parents bringing me to church. We were in one of those Holy Ghost churches. And, and they brought me up, and everybody's slathering oil all over me and pouring it on my head and rubbing it on my face, and it's getting in my ears, and it's running down the back of my neck, and I'm like, this is creepy. <laughs> and they're praying, and they're seeking God, and they're declaring, and they're communicating. And, 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 my, and my parents never said anything more to it. I went in for the MRI two days later. They could not find a tumor. No growth. No growth. When I was 30 years old, I had started a new church, we were uh, pastoring in Colorado Springs, and I was having to work bivocationally vocationally because I didn't have uh, I didn't have the resources within the church to be able to support myself. And so we're 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 working. I'm I'm hanging. I'm a construction. Uh, I had my own construction company, and and I'm coming back with my partner, my partner hydroplanes on the road. Uh, it's on I-25 out of Monument called Monument Hill. And there's a large area in between. Anyhow, we flipped several times down that mountain. We landed in a tree on, before it landed in a pond. And um, he got out he, he didn't know the Lord He got out and not, not a problem uh, I got out Felt like a mule Was kicking me in the gut We got to the doctor We got to the hospital The hospital thought I'd ruptured my spleen They were getting ready To do a surgery on me And the doctor said You know uh, they, Everybody suspects You have a ruptured spleen He said I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit here And if you've got A ruptured spleen I'm going to know it here In about five minutes And the good news is Is that you'd be dead In ten minutes But I can get it out In five more Isn't it amazing how doctors will ask you to trust them? And we do. And they're just practicing. Anyhow, I, 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 I sat there. We, we're just talking. We're just chatting it up. And he, he said, you don't have a ruptured spleen. He says, it's been 15 minutes. You'd be dead by now. says, something else. We don't know what it is. But it took him two days to discover I'd broken my back. Well, I, I, for years, I lived with the consequences of a broken back. I was in rehab for over a year. I uh, had lots of issues, couldn't, couldn't obviously work in construction anymore just because of the disability that had come because of my broken back. Well, what was interesting is about 10 years later, not quite 10 years later, I was driving by a church. You'll love this story. It's a story of faith. I was driving by this church, a friend of mine, but I, I knew him slightly, he was another pastor in the community, and... We had had some fellowship, and I noticed that he was building a new church, and it was getting ready for drywall, and that's what I did. was a drywall contractor. And so I called him up. I said, hey, man. He said, where you are you with the new church? How's it going? He said, we're doing good, blah, 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 blah. I said, I said, well, how's all your subbing going out, and uh, have you gotten everything arranged? He said, yeah. he said in fact, he said, uh, we've got everything taken care of, but we just can't find anybody to hang the drywall. And I knew the Lord had already told me, hang that man's drywall. Now, you realize I haven't hung drywall for 10 years. So I called, I said, listen, I said, the reason that's happened is because the Lord wants me to do it for you. Really? You do that? I said, yep, I'll do it for you. This is a large church. I said, I just need somebody to help me hang the ceiling. But outside of that, I'll hang it all. He said, all right. Every day, every day for almost a month and a half, every day I went down there. I neglected my own church. I took care of it. I didn't take care of anybody's. I just took care of him. Every day when I got home, I could hardly walk. I could hardly move because of my back pain. I said, Lord, I don't know why you got me doing this. He said, because I asked you to. Because we want to know what's in it for me. He said, you get to be a blessing to your brother in the Lord. But this is painful. Shut up and keep hanging. (laughs) Anyhow, he didn't say that, but I threw that in because that's how I felt. (laughs) So we, uh, anyhow, we got through. And and he didn't even have people help me hang. I mean, he's sitting there and he's drinking his coffee watching me work. I wanted to slap him. (laughs) If I'd had the strength and I wasn't in so much pain, I probably would have. Anyhow, we, we got through, and I, I got to tell you, I had to work through some points of victory and joy. There was a few times I wasn't too happy. He didn't know the price I was paying. He wasn't helping me like I thought he should. His people weren't, his people weren't even as invested as I was. You ever felt like that, serving God? Pastor, don't even care what I'm doing. You don't know how hard it is making this coffee. I didn't mean that towards anybody here. I didn't get a word of knowledge or anything. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I got done, and he came down just as I was finishing up, and he shaked my hand. Thank you, thank you. What, do I, what, what can I do for you? Is there anything? I said, nope. I said, this is what God told me to do. I'm going to do it. So I, I have a couple horses, and they're metal, and they're heavy, and I take them over to my truck, and I throw them in the back. And for the first time in 10 years, I had no pain. Um, hmm. Wasn't in a church service. Nobody lathered me up with oil. I threw, I finished the command I threw the horses in the back of my truck, and God says, Oh, for being obedient. I haven't had a back problem since that day. And just to prove it, just to prove it, I practiced Brazilian jiu jitsu, and this year became a world champion. You can't do that with a jacked up back. Here's my final reason. How much time do I have, pastor? just... Yeah, you don't want to say that. You really do Here's the final reason, and there's more, but here's my final reason, for why I believe in healing, because I've seen God experience. I've seen others receive and experience healing. I believe it because I've watched him heal others. I've watched miracles beyond miracles that you don't have the time, nor do I, to share all that God has done. I can start with just a few years ago, a family in my church came to me and they said, Pastor, they were in the adoptive, uh, they were the foster care, and they had a young child, a little boy, that was, less, was just a, a, an infant, just been born, it was only like three or four months old, they brought him to me and they said, Pastor, we're going to adopt this child, but there's a problem. His mother has HIV, his father has HIV, his two siblings have HIV, and he has HIV. Can you pray that God will deliver him from HIV? Because your expectation will determine your approach. And she's got a child that's, Under the power of HIV, that there is no known cure for, but she believed that she could call for the elders of the church. They could anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of prayer of faith would save the sick, and the Lord would raise them up. And I laid my hands on that little boy, and I began to pray. His name's Joe. Begin to pray over over Joe. I lifted him up before God. I said, "Father, this is your child. You're depositing him into this incredible home that loves you and serves you and loves you and is trusting you for the miracle of this child." Lord, do a miracle that is un, un uh, is unexpected and impossible in this world. I gave him back to them. I said, "How often do you have to have him checked?" They said, "Well, we have to have him checked monthly." I said, "When's his next checkup?" They said his next checkup will be uh, next month. He said about about two weeks. I said I want to know what the doctors say when they check. They came back two weeks later. They come dancing into church with that little infant child in their hand. They said, Pastor, they could find no HIV, but they want to keep checking. They listen, folks. They quit checking after three years. They could not find HIV in that child's bloodstream. Because we all relate to children, I I have to tell you that the very first baby I dedicated was a young child that I was called in the middle of the night. The grandmother had asked me, had called me in desperation. She said, Pastor, she said, my my daughter and my son-in-law have just had their first baby. The baby was a little bit premature, not terribly premature, but a little bit premature, but the problem was there was no lungs developed in the child. They're respirating the child just to keep it alive. They are going to have to take off the respirator here in a few minutes, and the child is going to die. Can you come and can you pray for this child? I said, I'll be right there. I got in my car. I ran down to the hospital. As I walked into the hospital, I walked into the parents' rooms. They were, they were grief-stricken. They were brokenhearted. Both of them had known God but had drifted from him. And I sat down with them and I started talking to them. I said, listen, I want to reach a point right now where you're going to make a decision about what, how, who Jesus is to you. And I'm not holding you ransom. Jesus is going to do what he's going to do. But are you going to serve him no matter what? I led both of them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ at that moment. They returned to, to, to God. I said, now we're going to walk in and see what God will do with your child. I walked in the room and I'll never forget It was the most pitiful sight I'd ever seen. There were, there, were, there were tubes and wires all over this teeny little body laying naked on this, on this simple little table. But there were a couple doctors. There were three or four nurses that were all gathered around. I walked in. I said, uh, I said, I'm here. They made me put all kinds of stuff on. I said, I'm here to pray for the baby. They thought I was a priest to offer last rites. They said, yes, Father, come on in. <laughs> so they invited me in. I didn't correct them. Just told him I left my collar at home. (laughs) That's not true. I had to confess it. But I I didn't correct him. And and I walked in, and I got to tell you, you know, if there was ever a time, and and I'll admit that many times when I prayed for the sick, I, I didn't have any sensibility. I didn't have any, like, large, dynamic, emotional context of faith. Just, I did it obediently. In this case, I was deeply moved with compassion. I just was overwhelmed with this sense of God loves this baby. And I do too. And I walked over and they, they parted like the Red Sea. And I walked over to that little child. I put my hand on its head. And I prayed, I prayed in a way that wouldn't, didn't sound like a man of faith prayer. I said a word I rarely say when I pray. I say it all the time in life. I laid my hands on that child and I said, Please, please give this child lungs and breathe on its own so that everybody in this room will know you are God. It was really that simple. Took my hand off the child, turned around to every doctor, every nurse is weeping. They said, Father, we have never heard a priest pray like you just prayed. <laughs> I didn't correct them. <laughs> On the trip back, it took me about 20 minutes to get home. Back then, we didn't have cell phones. I got a, the phone, phone was ringing. My wife was talking to the grandmother. They said, you've got to talk to this woman. I got on the phone with her. She said, Pastor, when you left, they, they, took out, they took all the tubes. They took all the stuff off, and the baby died instantly. Quit breathing. So they walked out of the room because, like I said, it took 20 minutes. They walked out of the room, and the nurse was cleaning up the tubes and removing the wires. And the last wire they're going to remove is the heart monitor. It was just a flat line across the screen. When she reached for the heart monitor, all of a sudden the monitor went beep-beep. She thought, well, maybe the electrical charge as she was approaching it might have set it off. But then it went beep-beep, 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 beep-beep. The baby opened its eyes and screamed One month later, that was the very first child I ever dedicated to my ministry. I lifted that child before the Lord and presented him to God. Why do I believe in healing? Well, because I believe in the healer. I believe in the promise and the example of God's word. I believe in the nature of God. I believe it because it's happened to me. And I believe it because I've seen it in others. Can I tell you one more story? How many know that means absolutely nothing? How many know that everything I've just done is an illusion? My wife and I, uh, approximately about 10 years ago, were enjoying a wonderful motorcycle. We love to ride motorcycles. And we were riding motorcycles through... uh, Branson and, and uh, the Excelsior Springs area of Arkansas. And we're coming back. My parents are with me. My dad's a motorcycle. My mom are motorcycle riders as well. And we're driving back, having a wonderful, wonderful uh, celebration. We get into downtown Springfield. I don't see a light change. I move into the large, uh, uh, large intersection, and I T-bone a car at 50 miles an hour. We are ejected from the motorcycle. We fly 45 feet through the air across three lanes of traffic. We land in the middle of the intersection. I'm tumbling through the air, but I'm aware. I've got cognitive, uh, I've got this thing that happens when bad stuff starts happening. i got to get hyper-focused. And my wife, I'm watching her tumble through the air, and I can tell she is completely knocked out. She lands on the pavement. I land on my feet and then roll out. When I do so, I break my leg. I didn't know it at the time. I crawl over to where my wife is laying face down on the hot pavement on a summer day. I do the thing you're not supposed to do. I roll her over. I look at her. Her eyes are open, but her eyes are rolled back in her head. And i got to be honest with you. The only thing I can think in that moment is I've killed my wife, the person I love most in life. Immediately, that fear, that emotion began to cripple me, that guilt, that shame, that condemnation. I didn't do it intentionally, obviously. But all of a sudden, the willingness to accept the responsibility for the worst that could possibly happen in this moment gripped my heart. But something of the grace of God visited me. While I'm sitting there and beginning to be overwhelmed, Something inside of me says, this will not help your wife. There's something more important here than how you feel about what just happened. Do what you do. Pray over her. I took her helmet off and I started praying. I said, Father... I don't know what my wife's condition is, I don't know what's going on, but I'm believing you to do a miracle right now. Within 20 seconds of me praying, she opened up her eyes, and the very first words out of her mouth was, "I love you." You can say it, I'm the man. They, of course, the doctors came in. They stabilized her. They got her neck stabilized, everything stabilized, took her to the hospital. We found out later she had broken both sides of her neck. Both sides were completely fractured. They had her in a very unique uh, brace so that she could not move her head or her spine in any way. They did not have the expertise in Springfield. They said you need to be transported back to Kansas City where you need to uh, talk to a neurosurgeon to figure out a strategy about how to recover from this. The prognosis was not good. She thankfully had no spinal damage, therefore she was able to still move. So we went home. We had to wait for a month to get the best neurological specialist in Kansas City, one of the best in the world, to uh, see her. We called in all our favors with all our friends, all our doctor friends, and they set it up. Well, it was going to be a month before she could go in and So I remember one day I came home, and my wife was at home convalescing. I was still hobbling around on a broken leg that I didn't know was broke. It was completely broken. I mean completely severed, and I was walking around like an idiot. But anyhow, the point is, I I came home one day, and she said, Honey, the Lord just spoke to me. I said, Great. What did he say? He said, I'm healed. I said, that is awesome. You're not taking the brace off. (laughs) Oh, you man of faith and power. I said, you know what? I believe you, honey. I stand with you. I trust you. But let's let the doctor confirm it. The doctor's not our enemy. He's an agent of God. So my wife, in complete submission to her husband, Every time I left, she, I mean, when I was there, she kept her brace on. And every time I left, she took it off. She'd do her hair, she'd do her makeup, she'd sweep, vacuum, clean. I always wondered how it got so clean. She said, Oh, you know, it's it, yeah, I have lots of help. She'd hear the garage door open. She'd run in, put the brace on, like a little kid that's about to get in trouble. We get to the doctor two weeks down the road. We go to the doctor, and my wife says, honey, I said, what do you think about today? She said, well, I already know what's going to happen. She said, I'm healed. I said, that's right. You are healed. We get there, and they make her do a preliminary uh, x-rays to confirm what was already in the Film that they brought, we brought up with us from, uh, from Springfield. We get there and they take the x-rays and we don't get to see them. They transport them to the neurologist and the neurologist comes in and he's got the film. Back then they still had film and he puts them on the things. and He's looking, he's looking, he's looking, he's looking. Hmm, that's interesting. Mrs. Freck, how do you feel? She said, I feel great. Um, Any problems? Any pain? Not anything. Yeah, I'm looking at your old one right here. You can see the breaks, the fractures right here. You can see them. Yeah, I, I can see those. And I'm looking at your new one. This is you. Yes. Yeah, there's no breaks. said, what would you like to do? She said, I would like to take this brace off in front of my husband. (laughs) She walked out of that day swinging her neck brace. (laughs) Ding dong, the witch is dead. (laughs) Healing has come. I'm telling you these stories because I believe... Jesus heals because I believe in the healer. I believe Jesus heals because I believe in his promise and his word. I believe Jesus heals because it's consistent with God's nature. I believe Jesus healed because he's healed me. I believe Jesus heals because I've seen him heal too many people and not to know that he doesn't do it. So I want you to stand to your feet all over the room. I'm doing this to prepare your heart for tonight because we're going to pray for the sick. Tonight, I want you to set an expectation that will determine your approach. I want you to decide today who Jesus is to you. I want you to go beyond. You might say, well, I've been here before. Then be there again. Faith isn't the instant response to a desire. Faith is the consistent approach to the faithfulness of God. And I want to challenge you if you've gone 10 times, 100 times, 150 times, 5,000 times, or for the first time, that you're going to make a decision, I'm going to approach again. And I'm going to approach with an expectation that God can heal me, that God will heal me. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I believe I'll be made whole. I believe there could be evidence that could happen right now in this room. Holy Spirit, I believe you're here, and I believe you're here to do wonders in a church that's seeking and longing and trusting and believing. I believe there are men and women in this room that even earlier, with, by, based on words of knowledge, stood up trusting for vitamin deficiencies and chronic pain and the other issues that were declared, that Lord God, it wasn't just a moment where we felt medicated by the care and the concern of others, but Father, you have shown that you are invested in their healing. Lord, I pray right now that you will set hearts and set spirits, that you will send an anointing that will destroy yokes of doubt and fear and unbelief, uncertainty, unworthiness, shame, condemnation, and guilt. I ask you now by the Spirit of God to break down strongholds that have been established, lies that we've begun to believe about ourselves or about you. I pray that today you will loose us and set us free from paradigms and philosophies that limit your expression in your hands in our life. I'm asking you now by the Spirit of God to let loose your healing virtue in this room, that, Father, that this will not just be a house of the prophetic, it will be a house of the miraculous. Lord, you put it in the heart of the leadership of this house to pursue the supernatural expressions of your healing power. This house will become defined by it. This house will become a gathering point for it. This house will be a place where the implementation and the provability, Lord, not just, not just kind of the simple things, but, Lord, the grander declarations of your goodness will be demonstrated, not for the glory of a man or a ministry, not for the glory of a house or a church, but for the glory of God. So, Lord, I ask you to build our faith, Lord, to take us from where we've been in faith to where we need to be in faith. Lord, that we grow from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. Release that in this house, and we come back anticipating your touch in Jesus' name.